faithful was a pugnose, pugnacious lad who recited his scriptures with proper piety, pocketed his reward, then fled into the fields to munch on it. The priest took a liking to the boy, persuaded him to attend church school. This was preferable to doing household chores from which his devout parents excused him. By offering other inducements, the priest managed to teach the boy the four Gospels. In fact, he won a special prize for learning all four by heart and reciting them nonstop in church. Now, at the time of this article, 60 years later, he still likes to recite scriptures, but in a context that would horrify the old priests. For the prize pupil who memorized so much of the Bible is Nikita Khrushchev, the form, former communist czar. As this antidote illustrates, the why behind memorization is fully as important as the what. The same Nikita Khrushchev who nimbly mouthed God's word when a child later declared God to be non-existent because his cosmonauts had not seen him. Khrushchev memorized the scriptures for the candy, the rewards, the bribes, rather than for the meaning it had for his life. Artificial motivation will produce artificial results. I wonder how many of us are like Khrushchev. False motivation. Why are you here at church this morning? Let me think about it. Everybody search your own heart motive. Why are you genuinely here this morning? Is it you're seeking to get something out of it that profits you? And that can go in two ways, good or bad. What's your motivation in service for the Lord? Is it for the master or is, for, uh, is it for what's on the master's table? What motivates you in your service for the Lord? Is it genuine? You're just here because the family makes you come. I'm here because uh, I want to keep my, my marriage together and keep my wife happy or keep my husband happy, so I'll just go. I'm here this morning. This is just what I do. This is just tradition. We always do this. I mean, genuinely, why are you here this morning? Look, I, I remember <clears throat> as a young person and, and young people, this message probably is going to be a lot more geared towards you today. And, and I'll say that simply because, again, I draw from my own experience. I think back to when I was a teenager. And listen, I sat in a lot of churches. It wasn't for the reward of a candy piece. It was for a sweetie, if you will. But it wasn't a piece of candy. It was that girl 
That was the reason I was in church. Oh, I dated girls, and I loved to date those Christian girls. So I would go to church services quite often. My eye was on the wrong prize. Like Khrushchev in that situation, in that illustration. I don't know why you're here this morning. I don't know what your motives are. But I know that God knows. And I know that He sees beyond any facade that any of us has up today. He knows the heart of man. And this Bible is a two-edged sword and it cuts and it's sharp. But my prayer is that today, whatever your motive is, whether you came through these doors under false pretenses, artificial motivations, or genuine, sincere, I want to know God, I want to worship, I want to come into His presence, I want to hear from Him today. Whatever your motives were for coming here today, it's my prayer that God will indeed speak to our hearts today. And that we will respond to the Word of God as He would have us to respond. Let's look in the text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Father, I pray this morning that you would have free reign that your word would go forth unhindered, free course to our hearts. Lord, help us to be attentive as we sit at your feet. May you speak to us today. May we be drawn closer in our worship. May we respond in obedience. I ask for your power to proclaim your message. 
In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Notice verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, finally, or furthermore, some of your translations may say. This this kind of serves as as a transition, not a conclusion. He's saying, finally. You know the good thing about Paul's little letters, you'll find this a lot of times. When he writes, he does a lot of doctrine in the beginning. You know, he hits on some core doctrines. And, and, and don't let anyone tell you that doctrine is not important. And doctrine is everything. There's too many churches that are watering down today. They're not giving the meat of the Scriptures. The meat is what's vital for you to grow. As babes, we start out on milk. We should desire the milk of God's Word. And there are certain truths and certain things that, that, that feed us and help us. But as we begin to grow and as we begin to mature, we should desire the meat of God's Word. Paul lays out in the beginning of a lot of his letters the meat, and he'll give you that doctrine. And then a lot of times you'll find in his writings, he transitions into the practical application of those things he's already taught you. He's laid out some doctrine. Now he's going to say, okay, now let's, let's put the cookies on the bottom of shelf, if you will. Let's put the uh, beef jerky, since we're going to stay with the meat theme, on the bottom shelf. Let's, uh, let's put this into practical terms. Give you an example. Romans 12. You know, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You come to that, that passage. Everybody's familiar with that, right? And he says, therefore. What's therefore, therefore? Well, therefore, all those things I've taught you in the first 11 chapters. Now he comes to us and says, therefore, present your bodies. A living sacrifice. Holy and accept. This is your reasonable act of worship. This is your reasonable duty. This is your reasonable responsibility. He's laid out all that doctrine and then he says, therefore, brethren, I beg you, I urge you, present your bodies. A living sacrifice. He goes into practical. Now he's going into practical. He says, look, finally then, brethren, finally then, brethren, we urge you. And exhort. We urge to ask or to beg. We, we exhort to instruct in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Matthew Henry says this in regards to these first couple of passages here. He says, the matter of his exhortation, that they would abound more and more in holy walking, because that's the context here. He's going into this plea for purity. He says that they would abound more and more in holy walking or excel in those things that are good, in good works. Their faith was justly framed abroad and they were already examples to other churches. Yet the apostle would have them yet further to excel, to excel others and to make further progress in holiness. Note one, those who most excel others fall short of perfection. Did you hear that? Those who most excel others fall short of perfection. The very best of us should forget those things which are behind and reach forth unto those things which are before. And second, it is not enough that we abide in the faith of the gospel, but we must abound in the work of faith. We must not only preserve to the end, but we should grow better and walk more evenly and closely with God. Matthew Henry said that. What does he mean? What's he saying? What is the Apostle Paul saying? He's urging, he's exhorting, he's begging. He's saying, look guys, you're doing good. Your testimony precedes you. He's already talked about this in earlier passages. He says, but I want you to abound more and more. 
Christian, we can't be satisfied with where we're at. You never in your walk come to a place where you say, you know what, I think I've arrived. I'm, con- I'm content right here on this spiritual platform. I-, I don't know about you, but for me in my personal life, there seems to always be an unsatisfaction of where I am spiritually. There, there's always like a little, there's always this desire, this tug, this pull that I can, that I need to draw closer to God, that I need to do more in the way of loving others, that, that there's always this desire to, to want to serve my neighbor better, to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a better pastor. I, I'm not content with where I am right now. Spiritually speaking. I, maybe I'm just weird like that. I, does anybody else kind of feel that sometimes? I mean, um, I've heard Pastor David Jeremiah talk about the same thing. I, I, look, I think that's normal. I think that's that part of that that God has placed in our heart. He that's begun a good work in us. It's a holy drawing. I, I believe that we shouldn't be happy with where we are spiritually. That somehow we've arrived. That somehow I've got it all together and that this is, this is where it needs to be? No. There should be a hunger and there should be a thirst for righteousness. And that sort of is what is pulling us along. So if you're feeling the same thing, you're not alone. And as your pastor, I'm telling you, we should have a desire like that. I believe that's a, that's a desire that God puts in us as believers, a longing to know Him more, to want to draw closer to Him. And so Paul's saying to these people in Thessalonica, he's saying, look, you're doing good, but, but I want you to abound more and more. I want you to increase in this. I don't know about you, but I want to I know more of God's Word. I want to be more of a godly man. I want, I want God to have His will and way more in my life than what He has today. And I think that should be a desire for God's people. And I think that's how God works in the hearts and lives of men. Notice he says how you ought to walk. It's Hebrew for to live and to please God. Paul's saying, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, did you realize there's a way that you and I can live? There's a way that you and I can walk in our life in a way that we can live that's pleasing? Is your life pleasing God? He says, For you know and let's just stop right there. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? You know. You know. I don't even really have to stand up here and open this Bible this morning for those of you who are believers. You know. You know how you ought to walk. You know how you ought to live. Let's just, be, let's just be real this morning. We know. 
We know those things that aren't pleasing. We know those things that we sometimes trip on that's not right. God's put it in our heart. Paul's saying, look, you know. You know the commandment. You know the things that we taught you. You know the things that you've been taught, some of us since the beginning. To him who knows to do right, does not do it, it's sin. Sin. Sin's what put Christ on the cross. You know commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ, which Paul implies in this that he knows this message that he's bringing is from the Lord. This is not in his authority. This is not just some man speaking. This is the message of the Lord. This is, thus saith the Lord. Paul says, you know the commandments that we've shared. You know these things that we've spoken to you that are true. And you know, church, these things that you hear from God's Word, they resonate within our soul, they resonate within our heart, is this is true. And it's not because Pastor Jeremy said it, Pastor Dean said it, Teacher Henry said it. It's because it's the truth of God's Word. Notice in verse 3. For this is the will of God. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Time out. Time out, time out, time out. Uh, One of the most asked things by Christians. Pastor, I just want to know the will of God for my life. What's the will of God? What is the will of God? Did I see that right? Let me, man, maybe I got a bad translation. No, no, this is a good one. It's even got the MacArthur note, so it's a real good one. But hey, it says, this is the will of God. You better underline that one right there, church. Underline that one. You have permission. You can underline that one. For this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. You mean this great mystery quest that I'm on in life, knowing what God's special plan and purpose for my life is, it's that simple? Well, this is God's Word. And He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Well, what is sanctification? That's kind of one of those big big words there, huh? Sanctification. I'll take sanctification for 200. We're going to give you some answers in case any of you see this show up on Jeopardy, which I kind of doubt you will. Sanctification. All right. If you fell asleep, wake up. We're going to get some uh, some more doctrine this morning. We're going to get into some theological terms this morning. We're going to start with a word, many of you familiar Bible students, justification. Now, justification is a legal term that declares... You're right. It's like a judge saying, not guilty. 
2,000 years ago plus, when Christ was here upon this earth and He went to the cross at Calvary and shed His blood, it was for the forgiveness of sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. At the cross at Calvary, God gave His one and only Son to die for mankind. That they might have that opportunity to be forgiven. That they could be made right, justified in the sight, in the presence of God. And now, God offers that free gift to whosoever will, let them come. And many of you who are born-again believers, at some point in your life, you responded to the drawing of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you answered that call. You received that gift by faith. You received Christ as your atonement, as your payment for the sins that you've committed, for the sins that you will commit. And you receive by faith that gift, that that forgiveness, that redemption that's found only in Jesus Christ. In that moment, you were justified, declared not guilty, Though you and I know we're all guilty apart from Christ, apart from what He did at Calvary. That death, that burial, and most importantly, that resurrection. So we were justified. Some of us may be here this morning and you've never come to that place. You've never received the grace and the forgiveness that God has offered through His Son, Jesus Christ. But again, you're hearing this message and it's being offered. The question is, will you receive it or will you reject it? But once you've been justified, now this point from here to the end, we're in a process known as sanctification. So in the eyes of God, at justification, positionally in Christ, we're forgiven. Guess what? Positionally in Christ... You're no longer seen in your sin. You're seen as perfect. But you're not perfect. You're in a process. Wait a minute. You're losing me, Pastor. Stay with me for a second. We're in in this process right now upon this earth. Why didn't God just take us home when we got saved? You know, why didn't I just got saved? Why didn't He just zap me out of here right then? Well, there's work to be done. We need to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Plus, God is at work in your heart and in your life if you're a true born-again believer to conform you into the image of His Son. Sanctification. Progressive sanctification, some have termed it. I don't know about you, but my understanding of God's grace, the application of it in my life, is not the same as it was 10 years ago. I'm on a journey. I'm on a road. I am growing. I am being conformed more and more to the image of Christ. 
with the more I study, with the more I learn, with life experiences, through the counsel of others, through God's working in my life, He is molding me like clay. And the softer I am, the easier it is to mold. And then one day, I either go to the, I, I either go to the grave or the Lord returns, which He could at any moment, prophetically speaking, We're waiting on the return of the Lord. We'll get into that in the next portion of Scripture. So either I go to the grave, I go to be with God, or He returns, I'm with Him. Then in that moment, glorification. I will then be found in perfection. I'm not there yet though I am positionally in Christ, because when God looks upon me, He no longer sees my sin. He sees the perfection of His Son. And one day you and I stand in His presence, in God's presence. And it's not our sin that He will see if we've received Christ. He will see the perfection of His Son. And the Scriptures speak of in that moment that our sin also in that time is, is, is gone. We're, 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 we will be as He is. Don't let, see, people get confused in the justification, sanctification, glorification, and, and in the positional, and the progressive. And so what they do a lot of times is they'll say, oh yeah, well once you're saved, yeah, you can, you can achieve perfection. No, 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 no. You're not going to achieve perfection until you're in the presence of God. Glorification. We're not there yet. But when you get to that point of receiving Christ and you're justified, you shouldn't run to sin, you should run from sin. Yet some of us want to camp out and still stay in the mud that you've been rescued from. Why? Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, I want to look at three things under this sanctification. Because I believe that God's at work physically, mentally, and spiritually in your life. Notice, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Physical. He says, abstain from sexual immorality. We live in a culture that is sex-saturated. We live in a culture that it, people believe it's okay to have sexual relationship prior to marriage. That somehow it's okay to engage in behavior that has been preserved for Holy matrimony. And Paul's going to hit it. Listen, this ain't your preacher up here trying to pick a fight. This is your preacher proclaiming what God has told us in His revealed Word. This is exactly what Paul taught the Thessalonians when he was there in that village, in that town. He taught them these things because it's the truth of God's Word. This is the will of God for your life. Sanctification. And look, and he starts with, you should abstain from sexual immorality. 
if you are not married to that person, then touching, making out, petting, whatever you want to call it, is wrong. There's no right about it. Oh, it feels right. It's wrong. And you know, you know it's wrong. But what happens? We get lured in by the temptation because of the desire in our heart. Well, Pastor, I love this person. And I don't care. Let me pick on the marrieds for a second. This applies to the married in the area of adultery. Adultery is an obvious violation of the rights of another. But promiscuity before marriage represents the robbing of the other, that virginity, which ought to be brought to a marriage. The future partner of such a one has been defrauded. That's what Paul's talking about. Notice what he says. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. I expect somebody who doesn't know God, somebody who has no clue about who God is, they're not born again, they're not a Christian, I expect them to behave this way. They're blind. But Christian... You know God. He knows you. He died upon the cross at Calvary for your sin. Paul says, verse 6, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. What's he saying? He's saying when you do this, when you have sexual immorality, you are defrauding your brother. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means. You're not married. Do you know statistically the likelihood of someone who engages in in premarital sex, the likelihood of them marrying that person Very, very, very slim. And listen, I realize some of you this morning, I may be speaking to you, and some of you have have gone down this road. This is not a message of condemnation. Please, if you have confessed that sin and you have repented of that sin, you're forgiven by the grace of God. But confessing the sin and staying in the sin is not repentance. Let's be very clear on that. You defraud your brother. There are things that are stolen in that moment that can never be given back. And that was for your future spouse. That was for them. God had purpose and designed holy matrimony for that very thing. This is not a popular message today. Because, hey, if it feels good, do it. It just seems right. I love them. I love her. 
And yet we've been deceived. Repeatedly in Leviticus 18, Morris goes on and says this, a chapter where God instructed Israel on the matter of sexual morality. The idea is given that one may not uncover the nakedness of another, not their spouse. The idea is that the nakedness of an individual belongs to their spouse and no one else. And it is a violation of God's law to give that nakedness to anyone else or for anyone else to take it. Paul is warning those believers at Thessalonica to realize that, look, the will of God is the sanctification of your life. And physically, don't, don't, be, don't be going down that road. Don't be giving yourself away in that sense because you're robbing someone. You're cheating yourself. You're stealing from someone. You're taking that which does not belong to you in the sight of God. Notice what else he says. He goes on and says that... Um, Not in passion of lust. Verse 5, he says, not in passion of lust. This gives the idea of the mental because, look, physical immorality is one thing. But it's real easy for us to hammer that one and say, oh, it's wrong to, to do this. But the passion of lust that rages in the mind of man and woman all around and especially with, with again, the things in this culture and this society that entice that. Pornography. It's sin. It's wrong. And if you are setting before your eyes unclean things and you are entertaining your mind with that, it is adultery. Jesus said to look upon a woman and to lust after her in your heart is adultery. You know this. That's why you try to hide it. That's why you do it in secret. That's why you try to do it in the dark. Because you know this. And yet the more we do this, we numb our conscience. We justify our actions. And so the Apostle Paul warns those believers. Someone said it this way, Love can always wait to give but lust can never wait to take. Let me say that again. That is a great quote. Love can always wait to give, but lust can never wait to take. See, there's a big difference between love and lust. Love gives, and it gives properly in accord to what God has established Yet lust's desire is to take, to steal. I, re, I was reminded from, uh, as a young believer, and, and look, again, I've, I've been through this. This is a struggle. This was a battle in those early days when I came out of a very simple background. You know my past. And very young in the Lord, and I'll never forget sitting down with a pastor, and he gave me this, this scripture to internalize. And it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. 
But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will make a way to escape, that you might be able to bear it. You see, when temptation comes knocking on your door, and it does and it will, and some of you, before you even get home today, it's going to hit knocking on your door. But God is faithful. He's already given you a way to escape so that you can get out from under this pressure of this temptation because it is pressure. And the longer you stay wherever that temptation is, the harder it is to fight. Hey, it's natural. God has designed man and woman naturally to come together. This is not going to be a health ed class. We're not going there, but you know what I mean. It's natural, but within boundaries. God has established those boundaries. So, when temptation knocks, look for the way to escape. And it's in the mind. That's where it starts. I'm thinking about going here to see this person. I'm thinking about clicking onto this website. Find the way to escape. God's faithful. question is, are you looking for that way to escape? Paul says, look, this is like the, this is like the, the people who, who do not know God. This is like the pagans. You're not pagans. You've been bought with a price. Your body is not your own. Your body's the temple of God. He paid for it in full. If you're a believer, your body is not yours. It belongs to Him. He said, don't defraud or take advantage of your brother because the Lord's the avenger of all such. We also forewarned you and testified. Verse 7. You find the spiritual here. He says, um, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. The word unclean there kind of references both the physical and the the moral. And yet the holiness speaks to us being separated unto God. This is what God's called us to. He's called us to holiness. Listen to what 1 Peter 1 verse 16 says. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. What has God called you and me to? He said, it's written. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Do you think God desires for us to be and live holy lives? Lives that are set apart? That's different from the pagan world around you? Sure He does. Absolutely. He desires for you and for me to live in such a way that He receives glory through our life because we are being sanctified, because we're set apart, because we're growing in our understanding and we're laying aside those sins that so easily trip us up. Yes, it's hard. 
That's why we're to take up our cross and follow Him. It's difficult. It's painful. It's not easy. It's a lot easier to put yourself in a compromising situation and give in to it. That's easy. To live in holiness, to take a stand for what's right, to seek to honor God with your body, with your mind. That's not so easy. But Paul is encouraging these folks that that this is what God has called them to. He's, He's not called you to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, notice what he says here. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us His Holy Spirit. If they reject this message of justification, sanctification, glorification in Christ, the gospel, they are rejecting God. This is what God is doing in believers. God is calling men everywhere to repent, turn from sin, uncleanness, to God, holiness. And so no doubt there were some people in Thessalonica that weren't responding to what Paul was saying. And again, he's already answered his critics that, oh, Paul's like all these other charlatans, all these other guys out to make a fast buck. And this is just some man. Who's he to tell us this? Paul said, no, 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 no. If you're rejecting this message, you're not rejecting a message that's from man. You're rejecting a message that's from God. And so for us to willfully, blatantly, disobediently go down this road, It's in a man's message. It's rejecting the very message of God. Notice what he says, verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. There's no need to, to write. Again, these are things. Look, God's taught you this. You know this. God is love. There's no greater love than than a man to lay down his life for a friend. And Christ did just that. While we were yet sinners, you want to know if God loves you? Look at the cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, He took upon Himself the sin of us. Mm. He says, verse 10, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in in all of Macedonia. Again, look, think about the context here. Paul's already told these folks, look, you've done a great job. People in Macedonia know all about it. People are talking about those Thessalonican believers, how they've endured this persecution, how they're beginning to grow. Good things are happening over in Thessalonica. People know this, and and indeed you do toward all the brethren. They've got a good testimony. How about us, church? We have a good testimony without? Think about your individual life. How do people know you? Look, I, I, I hear things and I try not to listen because, you know, if it, 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 we don't want to listen to gossip. But I do want to hear your testimony. And you know, sometimes I, I hear not so good sometimes. 
Did you know so-and-so from your church behaved in this manner, did this? J. Vernon McGee said it this way. He said, to dwell above with saints in love, oh, that will be glory. But to stay below with the saints I know, well, now that's another story. (laughs) I mean, really, church, think about it. I I got a good friend who, when he hires people, he owns a business, he hires people, and he tells me, he said, Jeremy, he said, I don't like hiring Christians. He said, I would love to. He said, but every time I hire somebody who professes to be a Christian, he said, they end up being some of the sorriest workers that that I've ever hired. He said, so I've gotten to where I I almost don't want to hire them anymore. Now, I praise the Lord. I've sent him three recently in the past few years, and they've done pretty good, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he's changing his mind on it. But you know what, church? That's our fault. And Paul's going to hit that here in just a second. In fact, let's go ahead and look at it. He says, uh, Indeed, you do so toward all uh, brethren in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. There he goes again. Hey, you may be doing good in this area. You may have a good testimony, but it's not enough. Let's keep pushing. Let's keep going. Let's keep working. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and work with your own hands, as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Now, obviously, there, and we'll find this in 2 Thessalonians, there's obviously a problem going on within the church where some of the believers did not, they didn't want to work anymore. Hey, the Lord's returning, we might as well just get ready, kick back and be ready for it. And so Paul starts addressing laziness. And, and, and so, look, uh, there's a message here, Christian, we talked about this in our Sunday school class, the work sphere, if God is truly uh, in control and we should be working as unto Him, our testimony should be such that when I talk to that friend, and if you own businesses, and I talk to you, your, your philosophy ought to be, hey, man, I love hiring a Christian. They, they, they work hard. They're diligent. I mean, they're good workers. We've got to change that perspective. How do we do that? By working as unto the Lord. Remember, you're not laboring for that boss and that paycheck. You're doing what you're doing for God's glory. It's a testimony thing. Be a testimony in your workplace. I want to hear, and, and, and I do. Listen, I, I'm picking on the, uh, the bad this morning, but listen, I do hear. So-and-so, good worker, hard worker. Been impressed. That's the testimony that ought to be shared. That's the thing that ought to be said about us believers. I'm running out of time. I've got about two minutes, so let me wrap this up. Look, Paul says increase more and more. Lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Don't be a busybody. Don't be a busybody. Scripture's all about, all over that. Don't be, don't be a busybody. Nobody likes a busybody. Walk properly toward those who are outside, that you lack nothing. 1 Thessalonians 3.10 says, Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. 
Remember, Paul had talked about that earlier to the Thessalonians. He said, look, I long to come with you, come to you because I want you to grow in your faith and help you to mature so that you're lacking nothing. And again, if we are in this sanctification process, growing, understanding who we are in Christ, and begin to live this out in a practical way, we'll be complete. Lacking nothing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. These things will be added unto you. Look, God will give us our needs, but we've got to keep Him first in everything we do, and we've got to keep moving to the finish line. Abound more and more. Walk properly toward those who are outside that you may lack nothing. Who are those outside? Those are those non-believers. You're the Bible that they're reading. Do they know that you're having sex outside of marriage? Do they know that you're cheating on your wife through the pornography that you're looking at? Do they know that you're flirting though you're married? Do they know that you're stealing that you're on that drug, that you're on that alcohol. I, I don't know what sins are besetting you, but I know one who does. And it's not fooling him. Let's pray. Father, I trust that this message has been your message. Lord, I don't deliver this message for any other reason than we're at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today. But I know that this is providential. It's your appointed time to speak into the life and heart of some of the saints that are here today. Perhaps someone via the radio struggling. Father, have your will and your way in the life and the hearts of those listening. Help us, Lord, as we look to you. You say in your word, it's your will that we be sanctified. Physically, to abstain from sexual immorality. Mentally, not in passion of lust. Spiritually, because you did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Lord, how we desperately need your holiness. Have you ever been justified? Nobody looking around this morning. But I wonder if you're here today, be honest. Pastor, I've never been justified. I've never been made right in God's eyes. And I want to get right today. 
If that's you, I want you to just look up here and make eye contact with me. Nobody looking around. I want to be made right with God. I've never, I've never come to the place of true surrender and repentance. I haven't received Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, would you just look up here make eye contact. Don't look away until I've seen you. God's dealing with you. You want to be made right today. Anyone? Father, you know every heart here. And if there be one soul that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that you impress upon them their need for repentance and faith in Christ. I pray that you not let them escape this message. May it haunt them, Lord. May it just stir their heart to the place to where they are broken that they would call upon the only name given amongst men by which they can be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. I wonder, no one looking, if there's someone here today. Pastor, I'm struggling. There's a sin that's just tripping me up in this race. And I'm stumbling. And I need prayer. I feel that nudge. I want to overcome, but I'm just struggling. If that's you, nobody looking, would you raise your hand? Pull it back down. Just stick it up where I can see it. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to come to you. Thank you. I'm struggling. Thank you. There's a sin that's just, just tripping me up. God spoke to me today, put his finger on it, and I'm, I, I want to confess it. Just slip your hand up and pull it down. Father, I pray for those who had the boldness to raise and acknowledge and testify to you that I'm struggling. And God, I pray for those who were unable, for whatever reason, that in this moment, Lord, they would confess their sin to you because you have promised, you have said, and we know this, that if we will confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that you give us the ability to turn from these sins, to lay these sins at the foot of the cross, to move forward, not walking in the flesh, but walking in the Spirit. Father, thank you for this time this morning and dealing in hearts and lives. And I pray that we dare not walk out of here and have this message stolen away. But that you would allow it to continue to work in our hearts and lives in this process of sanctification. That we would be indeed conformed more and more into the image of your Son. And we'll thank you and praise you in his precious name. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I leave you with this thought.
we don't do this alone. There's a key thing that was in this passage that really ties it all together. And it's in that verse 8. At the end it says, He has given us His Holy Spirit. Gang, we don't do this walk apart from His Holy Spirit but He's given it to us. Amen? Let's walk in the Spirit, not the flesh. Thank you for your time. I hope you'll be back this evening. Don't forget the basketball practice after uh, services tonight. And um, again, just uh, thankful for, for having a good group here this morning. Thank you to all our visitors. Hope you'll come back and be with us again soon. And so uh, this time we'll, we'll dismiss in a, in a word of prayer. And... Um, I want to ask, uh, let me have uh, David O'Hara, if you would please dismiss us in prayer.